Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I am your host, Keith Reed Cleveland. I am your host, Mikkel Snyder, and there will be significantly less singing this episode if you're joining us from last week. I was just about to say that good news, folks, our birthdays are passed, and there will not be any singing. Well, I won't say any. Mikkel kind of had the mind of his own sometimes. There will be significantly less singing this episode. We'll get straight into the news and everything. So with that, I'll let Mikkel get us kicked off for this week. So we're going to start out with that. Like, it was actually a very busy week in that like there was a lot of headlines, but a lot of these were like very niche headlines. Like It, it only applies not to like the greater pop culture audience at, at large. And this includes what we're going to start off this podcast and what I started off the week with, with a new trailer for Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning, which is a game you probably haven't heard of, but really this is just the jumping off point so that way I can talk about a fascinating bit of gaming history because the original Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning as opposed to this new release Re-Reckoning nearly put the entire state of Rhode Island into bankruptcy. So the following details are coming from the Wikipedia page, a Polygon article way back in 2012, and a Eurogame article in 2016 but here are the essentials. There was a baseball player by the name of Kurt Schilling who, after retiring, decided he wanted to make a video game and was going to use the baseball mentality approach, where he was going to get the best people to do all of the things. He was going to get the best art designers, the best game developers, the best musicians, you name it. He wanted nothing but the cream of the crop, and from there, he was going to herald an MMORPG unlike any other into existence. It was going to revolutionize the field. And he managed to convince the state of Rhode Island to give him a $75 million loan for his studio. Now, given that Key's facial expressions indicate that he's never even heard of this game, I'm guessing a lot of our audience hasn't either, or if you have, you already know this story, or you just vaguely remember this game being aggressively average. Because, you know, when you get the best people under the direction of a former baseball pitcher and not, like, a game designer or developer, how does it not live up to the mythical hype that Schilling was trying to trying to get at, you know? So, un- unsurprisingly, this company went bankrupt and Rhode Island subsumed the debts that they had, and they actually acquired the rights to Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning as a byproduct of all of this, and they were just trying to frantically sell off assets, and then there was a court case that after four years resulted in like a smaller settlement. And all of this sort of like led up to THR Nordic acquiring to rights in 2018. Um, and then that's how we got Kingdoms of Amalar Re-Reckoning, which is the trailer we got this week. But yeah, whenever you see this game on the news, it's sort of like, oh yeah, a video game nearly bankrupted a state. That, that's cool. So many questions coming up right now. First of all, why did Rhode Island back that? Oh, this is a prime example that we've had many examples of, of course, of power and financing not being all that you need to do something. Like, we see many, many times that rich people just do what they want because people think that they can because they're rich. But, like, you're not successful in the things you're trying to do. So, like, someone being a multimillionaire and, like, 
a professional athlete has nothing to do with them being, like you said, like a successful video game developer. And it shows here because you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're the person who gets to say what the final say is at the end of the day, you're probably going to get in the way and mess a lot of things up. That is not okay. Like, I'm all fine with, like, you backing things, but when you get involved to the point where you actually have influence and control of the final output, it's probably not going to be what it should be. When was this? <laughs> this was the, so the, this saga sort of came to a head in 2012 when all of the the game actually released, and that's when all of the sort of like, oh, the studio is bankrupt. Oh, oh, Rhode Island has to has to take on this debt now. What? This was eight years ago, essentially, is when a lot of this came to head, and we saw it like play out intermittently since then, and. And this just sort of, like, brought up all of those, like, vague memories of notions of, like, this incident. Um, very, very concerning. Also, I just want to point out, I love the phrase aggressively average because I knew exactly what you meant when you said that. I'm like, oh, that's just not enjoyable for anybody. Like, it's not bad, but it's just so eh that you might as well have not done it. I, I, mentioned, I mentioned the game to end this news to one of my friends in, in my Destiny 2 Discord, and he's sort of like... Yeah, I remember that game. And then there was a pause. And so, like, it was fine. And then, like, the conversation stopped because there was literally nothing else to say after that point. It was just sort of like, this existed. It wasn't the worst thing I have ever played. And so, like, that's not really an indictment or a reason to nearly bankrupt the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> not remotely worth the cost. Rhode Island's not a big state. They don't have that kind of bank. What are you doing? It's backing a $75 million game. Just like I understand, I understand like uh, whatever like the corporate financiers like them investing money into things. I I never understood like a state backing it, and like I hear stories like this. I think about uh, Oregon's situation with one of their stadiums, like how that nearly put them into bankruptcy. Like there's just there's just a lot of ways money could be going to good uses, and it just it doesn't seem like like a 75 million loan to a gaming company run by a baseball player is, is ever the play. With that, we're going to go ahead and pivot to a different direction. When we talked about the streaming wars in the past, we mostly talked about some of the big players in streaming wars like Amazon or Netflix or even Apple TV Plus and how they're doing things and trying to like take more claim. What we have not done is taking the time to talk about one of the casualties of the streaming wars. And we're going to take that time right now. In the words of David Andrew Bird, better known to most as Lil Dick, your Dave, free trial memberships, though, I never joined them, though, which is from a song I enjoy called Save That Money. Quibi learned that lesson the hard way. It was announced this week that the streaming service lost a whopping 90% of early users after their free trial expired. During a pandemic? That's ridiculous. According to a story run by The Verge, 910,000 users joined Quibi in its first few days back in April for a three-month free trial. Of those users, only about 72,000 stuck around after the trial was over with, indicating the app had about an 8% conversion rate. Now, to put that in perspective, that's not that bad. Disney Plus, for example, which is, has crazy numbers, had a conversion rate of only 11%, but it also had a user base of 9.5 million to start off with. So I would much rather have 11% of 9.5 million than 8% of 
less than a million. You can't really work a company off of that, especially when your entire business model is to produce short videos that are like the length of a commercial as if they're a TV series. We'll get that in a second, though. But anyway, the entire purpose of offering free trials is hoping that users either like your product enough that they opt in to pay for it or that they're too lazy and or distracted to cancel a subscription. You just keep milking them for money for years and years and years. Shout out to Netflix. 90% of users saying, eh, nah, I'm good, speaks volumes. And I think they intentionally said, I don't like this. I don't want to pay you for it. Now, I don't mean to sound alarmist, but this can't be a good thing, right? I mean, I mean, so Quibi wasn't a good thing to start out with, man. <laughs> like, like let, let, let's not pretend like Quibi failing is, is not like something like that was going to be surprising and new. It's like, did you eat? Quibi came out in 2018. It was founded in, in, in 2018. Was founded in 2018, but didn't launch until this April. Because I remember I used to work for a company that worked with them, and they said, "Hey, who at this company wants to start a free trial a week for everyone else?" And no one did it. This company worked for two years to develop what is essentially seven-minute clips that will eventually form like maybe a series, maybe a show. They they spent they spent a lot of money on this. They spent so much money on this. And you know what one of the things that keeps getting like pushed on me on YouTube? You know what one of the series is? It's called Dummy. And it stars Anna Kendrick opposite a talking sex doll. Oh, that one. I didn't even realize that was Quibi. I just that always block it out of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So have I. It still keeps getting pushed on me for some reason. <laughs> like, let's not pretend that like this is a casualty. Th- this is a this is some random citizen in that war movie that just sort of like walked into a battlefield and say like I'm here, and then just sort of like got like this isn't this isn't analogous here. Like like Quibi was not positioned to like enter any sort of streaming wars, let alone the streaming wars during a pandemic. And it's weird, right? Because like. We haven't talked about Quibi on this podcast a lot because there hasn't been a lot to talk about. But, like, Quibi has, like, some licenses to, like, some really weird properties. Like, they, they have a, a Jun, Junji Into's Tomei, which is this Japanese horror manga that's, like, really excellent, really good. But, like, they have the rights to that. And that makes no sense. They have the rights to, like, a fugitive-like type thing, which is, like, an update on the original movie. In seven minute chunks? I... I I wouldn't know, because I'm not getting Quibi. I'm not. Like, Quibi is the answer to what is the one streaming service I would not get. Like, I will consider getting Peacock beforehand, and I don't want Peacock either. But, like, if I had to choose between Peacock and Quibi, I'm picking Peacock, because at least then I get access to Psych 2, Lassie Come Home. Yeah, this feels like MoviePass all over again. Like, it's an idea that was not sustainable, but at least with MoviePass, we as consumers got the benefit. Like, hey, cheap movies. I get to go about that. I don't worry about the company at all. With Quibi, it just always made me roll my eyes. I'm like, I typically take commercial breaks during TV shows to like go do other stuff. I don't want to watch a show the length of a commercial break because that gives me nothing that I'm looking for unless it's the amazing, most compelling short story in the world. It just doesn't make much sense to me at all. And I'm not surprised to find this out because this just didn't seem like a good idea to begin with. And that's also like... Going back to what you said a few minutes ago, is Anna Kendry just involved with every streaming service at this point? Does she have a property with everybody? I mean, maybe, but like, I also feel really bad that she has to to play opposite a talking sex doll with the worst CGI I, I have ever seen. 
Look, I don't like that you brought Quibi into this podcast. I don't like how you, you try to position this like this is a streaming wolf thing. This is like an oddity in like the grand scheme of pop culture that like will be forgotten about in the froze of history. So basically, Quibi went to a gunfight with like a wet towel. I, I, I feel like that, that, that is the closest analogy we're going to get here. Yeah, that works. I, but again, this is not necessarily a streaming war thing, but like we have to at least mention that Quibi is failing before it goes away. Because like a month from now, it might not be here anymore. So I just wanted to get that covered. And if we're wrong out there, feel free to tweet us. If there's like some gem hidden on Quibi that we're completely unaware of, let us know. I am genuinely curious, but I have a feeling none of our listeners have Quibi either. But we'll see. You, you are correct. We do have a duty to archive things, even if. I don't agree with with Quibi's model, with Quibi's programming, with the name Quibi. But let, let's take a break. Let's let's come back and then let's talk about something else that's going to get us really riled up. So, I will be back in a second, folks. We talk about Netflix shows a lot here at Black Nerd Problems. As much as we try, though, there's always a delay between our thoughts and what's on the screen. Wiretap has a solution for that. Wiretap is an extension that you can put on so that when you're watching Netflix, you'll be watching a movie or a show, and as you're watching, comments from other people will pop up. It's kind of like watching television with your friends, but they don't actually have to like be in the same place or time with you. It's a better version of live tweeting because you're not flipping between screens. Instead of going on Twitter to talk about what you've seen, you're staying on Netflix and you're talking about what you're seeing in real time on Netflix and other people will see those comments as well. You can start a community that way. I could see Nicole talking about uh, what she likes on Sabrina the Teenage Witch or what she doesn't like about Sabrina the Teenage Witch and I can like or not. Can you dislike? I'm not sure. Well, it's Nicole, so I'm going to like what she says anyway because that's Nicole and she's never wrong. I follow Omar, so I see all of his comments, and like I follow a bunch of the other people from BNP, so I follow like Mikkel and Brittany and a bunch of our writers, so when I'm watching a show, their comments will pop up. It's not flooded, though. Uh, when the comments pop up, it isn't like 16 at a time. It's who you want to see, and not many random people, unless those comments have been liked a lot, so some of you might enjoy. It's kind of tailored to you, but there is an algorithm to it that doesn't uh, make it feel like you're being bombarded or flooded like on another app that we might not mention here. Twitter! Uh, <laughs> it's a, it, there's no bombardment with that. It's like pop-up video, except your friends are the ones who are popping up. Their algorithm is actually really, really good because there's a couple people who um, I have never met before, but like... I appreciate their commentary <laughs> and now I follow them and I can like thumbs up their comments and it makes sense. I'm like, I don't know you, but I really enjoy your humor. It's like when you're at a movie and in your head, you're like, yo, you shouldn't have gone through that door. I told you not to go through that door. Like you're commenting like that. It's like live commentary with friends about, well, that was a stupid decision. Let me tell you why that was dumb. And these, uh, well, I got, I got like what, 58 characters, 120 characters. Let me tell you why that was a stupid decision in 120 characters. It is really like watching a movie or show with a living room full of people, except like you can just legit be in your underwear eating ice cream because they're not actually there, but all of their comments are there. That's how I watch shows with people when they're here or not. That's not, that's not what people do. I liked wiretapping Spider-Verse just because Omar and Brittany were in the movie with me. And that was like, it was really just legit like watching it with like people I like. I like watching anime and doing wiretap because you're guaranteed more a more ludicrous thing will happen there. But like when it's something like maybe serious or like slightly 
dramatic. It's a fun thing to wiretap. I mean, uh, never have I ever, but that's a great thing to wiretap because, uh, look, man, I don't know any minority that can call their mom uh, the B word and uh, still be alive the next scene. I don't know about nope. that. I don't know. I don't nope. know where they do that. I don't know what fiction that exists in because not not in this time that I know. And I had to comment about that. There was a lot of things to comment on in that show. It's also validating, right? Because you'll be watching it in your house and just like looking around for like the other person, like, yo, you you hear her say that? And then I type it. Yes, I did hear her say that. And this is why. And, and the fact that she's still breathing, that there wasn't a transition scene that was just black and her waking up in her room or still outside at nighttime is appalling to me. Nicole, how easy was it to download for you? I went to the, I guess, the Google store and downloaded the Chrome. (laughs) (laughs) I love when Nicole's talking about something. Even though she knows she's talking about, she'll have like that upward inflection. I'm not, uh, I think, I know. It was a long time ago. (laughs) It's memento, Nicole. (laughs) Listen, man, just get this goddamn program, man. What the, what are we doing here? easy to get the wiretap app all i have to do is go to like wiretap.co or go onto your google chrome and just download the extension from there i'm pretty sure that's right download it from there (laughs) it was easy that's all i remember i feel like that's the important thing it was easy it took me like less than a minute to download wiretap (laughs) there should be an upward inflection emoji why is there not an upward inflection emoji find out more about wiretap on their website at www.wiretap.co or download the Chrome extension from the Chrome Web Store. All right, folks, we've got some Batman news for you this week, both taking place in the world of television. First up, after it was announced that Ruby Rose was departing from her role in CW's Batwoman, it was unclear where the network would take the show going forward. It was announced that an actress named Javicia Leslie will be stepping in as a new lead and will be playing a brand new character named Ryan Wilder this week. Given that Ryan Wilder is a totally original character with no comic book counterparts, there's not much to know about her just yet. But, fortunately, a press release described her as, quote, A girl who would steal milk from an alley cat and can also kill you with her bare hands. Ryan is the most dangerous type of fighter. Highly skilled and wildly undisciplined. An out lesbian, athletic, raw, passionate, fallible, and very much not a stereotypical all-American hero. As a queer black woman, Leslie's casting is definitely a step in the right direction for the network, and I'm very excited to see how that's going to go. And I'll step into that after Mikhail gets his thoughts, because I definitely have some here. In other news, it was announced that Matt Reeves' The Batman film will be extending into a series on HBO Max, which is owned by Warner Brothers, so that makes sense. But it's about the Gotham Police Department. So not much is known just yet, but hopefully it won't be called Gotham because we already got a show with that exact same title about that exact same premise a few years ago that was very, very divisive. But this is a lot of interesting news in the Batman universe. Mikhail, what are your thoughts on either of these topics that probably have a wide range of emotions attached to them? Oh, we're going to be talking for a minute, Keith. <laughs> All right, let me buckle in. Okay, okay. So so here's, here's, here's what we're going to open up with. I, I love Batman. I love Batman a lot. My relationship with Batman has changed over like the last couple years for a wide variety of reasons, mostly including the fact that I've started reading more, just generically. Like, it used to be just Batman, now I read a much wider spectrum of things. So, like, there's that, just on the table, on the table. And 
And so we're, we're going to start with with the Batwoman news um, because you you missed something with with the character description. So um, so from the LA Times, they also had like some more details about the uh, character's backstory. Um, so th- th- this is straight from the article. So according to official character description, Ryan has spent years as a drug runner, dodging the Gotham police and masking her pain with bad habits. A highly skilled but undisciplined fighter, she now lives in a van with a plant. I, th- does that matter for purposes of this conversation? <laughs> I mean, but like the the the, the point is, is that one of our oh writers in, in our in our Slack mentioned sort of like CW like took a step forward, sort of like great queer black woman superhero lead original character taking up the mantle. Great, and then you give her a backstory like this, and it's just sort of like, what? What are y'all doing? Like, what's the point here? Why? Why can't this just happen? Like, why can't you just have her be Ruby Rose? That could also work. We don't care. Like, we've seen recastings before, and we've just sort of like, this is weird. We accept it. Let's move on. Like, why she has to be a drug runner who's basically houseless, living in a van, and I'm gonna call it now, talking to her plant. Or also just, like, not a drug runner. There's a wide spectrum of ways that this could have been done, and I think drug runner is, is like, the worst possible avenue out of literally every... Literally every... Not literally. There's probably worse. There's probably yeah, but it's, worse. it's on that side of the spectrum, though, so I yeah. get what you're saying. Oh, my jaw just dropped when you were saying all that, because I missed the very, very key drug runner detail. I did come across something on Twitter about how she's, like morally ambiguous and stuff like that like the anti-hero which anti-heroes are cool like they're not stuck in one direction or the other i like that gray ambiguity and everything but drug runner so and like full disclosure i've seen everything in the Arrowverse except batwoman because it's not on netflix yet or if it is on netflix it has not been marketed to me for some reason which is a different conversation about netflix's uh, algorithm so here, here's the other Ride Ranger emotion. Um, I wanted Gotham to be so good. I wanted Gotham to be so much better than it actually was. Because Gotham, on paper, sounds like it could be actually incredible, where it's just sort of like, okay, here we go. Gotham PD, the, the rise of supervillains in conjunction with the rise of Batman, as the cops are just trying to figure out what the hell is going on in this city, and then, and then it just, I watched that show for way too long. I watched that show for way too long. I watched it for more seasons than anyone should. It was waste of time. I couldn't finish it. Oh, there's just so much to unpack. It. So here's the, the spiel, right? Not talking about Gotham, the old series, but talking about this Gotham PD coming out of the uh, Batman cinematic universe with, with whatever Matt Reeves is doing. Okay, so he, here's the thing. Um... Cop shows are things that exist, right? Like, they are there. This is just a reality that we have to deal with. Um, I have watched many cop shows, and I have enjoyed many cop shows throughout our time. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Law & Order SVU, the, the, there's a variable laundry list of sort of like procedural dramas. They, they hit a spot, they're great, right? 
this last year has sort of challenged like whether or not like this is a thing and, and our uh, editor uh, Jordan uh, has a great uh, article on the Atlantic about how like the the relationship with like police media in particular ha- has changed significantly right so like when you see a Gotham PD show like like is getting is getting made essentially just sort of like so we're talking about like historically one of the most corrupt police departments in like any fictional universe because like every other cop's on a payroll and then every other cop is trying to be good it's just it's like what are we why is this here and i think they think it's fictional they think they can separate these things and it's just it's wild and like i don't i don't need this there's a part of me that like wants this to like be good but like I also remember, like, playing Batman Telltale, like, way back in, like, 2016, 2017, whenever that came out, and then I had a choice as of, like, I can give this data to Jim Gordon, the police, or Vicki Vale, the journalist, and I'm just sitting there sort of like, Jim Gordon's a cop. Jim Gordon's a cop. Do I trust cops right now? Do I trust cops ever anymore? And, like, that moment from Telltale has, like, stuck with me since then, and... Every time something comes out, I just think about about that, like that, just constantly. And sort of like, there's a part of me that wants this, and there's a part of me that says, like, this is not what anyone needed. And I shouldn't speak for everyone, but like, I just, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. I mean, so like, to share a little more personal information here. When I read the article that George wrote for The Atlantic about saying goodbye to Law and Order and things like that, it resonated with me very deeply because I also have a past when it comes to loving and enjoying police dramas and police comedy and stuff like that. But events in the past year especially have made it difficult to do so. Like my roommates and friends of mine have like been on me for years like, hey, watch Chicago PD, go ahead. And I actually watched it for a couple of seasons and enjoyed it. Then all of a sudden I looked up and I'm like, this show is really just about a bunch of rogue cops doing what they want to and not facing any real consequences. That's not healthy for society, and it makes me feel very, very bad. And that's like the whole thing with Elliot Stabler, like that was his entire persona, right? And even though this takes place in the fiction universe with this Gotham show, Gotham is one of the most corrupt cities in all of fiction. Like, we're not going to see a city full of, like, wonderful, morally white cops that don't do wrong things and are just there for the sake of justice. Like, no, there's going to be a lot of corruption, either blatantly there that we're dealing with or that's behind the scenes that we know there's alluded to, but we don't actually get to confront it all in any, like, sustainable way. So, again, like, not only is it necessary because we just had this show with Gotham or something kind of like it, but also, like, I'm kind of fed up with police TV shows, to be totally honest. And, like, I also, like, at one point in my life was considering being a cop until I realized... For me, personally, being a black man and a police officer in a city like Chicago would not sit well. That's, I just left, I left that alone. But, like, this is just tied up with all of that. I, I spent too much time hoping Gotham could turn itself around, and it just never did. And and this this is what I will say. Uh, Donald Lange, whoever played a Harvey Bullock in Gotham, is an absolutely phenomenal actor. and And he was great. He was great consistently when everything else in that show was going buck wild in 17 different ways. And and I do remember a very salient point of like what was held against us constantly when uh, we we were defending this for whatever reason. And that was the, the damn balloon man. Oh, gosh, that's not reminisce too much. It hurts. No. So we're done talking about this. 
Anyways, anyways, that brings us to the end of the episode, as is tradition. Uh, we're going to be going through our lightning round, which is just a couple fun little factoids, couple little headlines that we didn't get a chance to talk to in full detail, but we still want to let y'all know, because this is what we do at This Week in Nerd News. So, unsurprisingly, Disney knows exactly what it's doing with its release of Hamilton on their digital platform, Variety has reported that downloads went up a whopping 72%, which just makes sense. There's nothing more to say there. Um, Saladin Ahmed and David Acosta revealed a new Kickstarter for Dragon, a graphic novel that has already been fully funded, so if you back this, you're gonna get it, and it's gonna be great. But it has the tagline, A Fallen Muslim Knight, A Zealous Young Nun, Together Against Dracula, A Story of Horror and Faith Presented as a Beautiful Hardcover. Like, I'm backing this right now, just saying this out loud. And if you're a fan of John Mulaney and his comedic stylings like myself, you'll be happy to hear that Playbill reports that Comedy Central is going to have two more Sack Lunch Kid specials for us in the future. And finally, Netflix continues to be a bedrock of content during this time by providing us with the trailer for Umbrella Academy Season 2 premiering at the end of the month. And wow, it looks weird. And wow, I'm ready. So, if you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in your news, feel free to tweet us at BlackNerdProblems with the hashtag TWINN. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture. I am Mikkel Snyder. And I'm Keith Wee Cleveland. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And watch us on Twitch and everywhere else. Yes, we, we have a expanding Twitch presence that you should be following us there. Like all social media, just everywhere. Instagrams, the Twitters, the Facebooks, everywhere. We'll see you next week.